and happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. I'm your host, Luke of Italian, alongside me are my co-hosts, Ryan Walterman and Ben Schmidt. Fellas, how are we doing on this fine Friday? Doing fantastic. I mean, beautiful weather outside, and uh, I'm ready to go. Yeah, like Ben said, beautiful weather outside. The past couple of days has been really nice, and it's going to be a great show today. Before we get rolling here, first things first, some news on Mizzou sports. Mizzou men's basketball dropped their sixth consecutive contest in a row against South Carolina, 73-69 on Tuesday night, despite a career night from Javon Pickett. Pickett's recorded 23 points on eight made field goals, including a pair of three-pointers, besting his previous career high of 21. Set at South Carolina in his freshman season, Missouri will close out the regular season at home against Georgia. Game action is slated for 2.30 p.m. Central Time. Mizzou Women's basketball battled late in the fourth quarter but couldn't overcome a big scoring run by Arkansas in overtime and dropped a 61-52 decision in the second round of the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament yesterday at Bridgestone Arena. The Tigers will await its postseason desti- de- destination come selection Monday. Mizzou baseball earned a two-game sweep over Louisiana Monroe following Sunday's 4-2 victory. The Tigers return home to face Tarleton State in a three-game series beginning today at 6 o'clock Central Time. And finally, Mizzou softball scored five unanswered runs against UCLA but could not climb out of a 7-0 deficit falling 7-5. Mizzou finished last weekend at the Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic with a 4-1 record. The Tigers will host St. Thomas and Bradley at the Mizzou Tournament for the first weekend beginning today at 4 o'clock Central Time. All right, fellas, so let's get going here with Mizzou men's basketball here. Last game tomorrow, the Tigers fought back from that halftime deficit to play into the sort of the final seconds at, uh, against South Carolina, but ultimately lost. Kobe Brown, he joined Javon Pickett, double-figure points, with he had 19 for his 15th double-digit scoring performance of the season. And tomorrow, Mizzou, to close out the regular season, they will honor its lone senior, Javon Pickett, prior to the start of the game. All right, so Ryan, I'm going to start with you here. Do you think Missouri can close out the regular season with a victory? No. And the only reason I'm saying that is just because Georgia is literally on a 10-game ten, ten losing streak. But who better to let them actually finally find a win than the Missouri Tigers? I get the games at home, but at this point, the game being at home isn't even a good thing for Mizzou. This team has been atrocious, 10-20. and 20. I, You know, I'm happy that they even had 10 wins because I wasn't even expecting 10, if I'm being honest with you guys. But it's been a whole different team. I will be excited to see what happens next year with all the different guys. But, I mean, it just seems to me that they just cannot find a rhythm at all it's I don't even care if they start off hot they just can never find a way to end the game they can never just make a good play they can never make a right call the team shoots threes one of the guys I really just want to aim out here is Ronnie DeGray he literally will go 0 for 8 on any night and it it, at this point it's like why are you still shooting if you're not making the ball at least try to drive and get a basket but this team has been one of the worst teams to watch in the SEC they've been horrible shooting team behind the arc so I mean Cool if they win, but I just feel like Georgia's going to walk out out of Missouri Arena tomorrow with a W, and they're going to end their 10-game losing streak. Well, let me start here with a couple of facts here. Um, This is the sixth time in program history that Missouri men's basketball has hit the 20-loss mark. Four of those six have come since 2014. That's number one. Number two, they have lost six games in a row now. That is the longest winless streak of the Kanza Martin era. But most importantly here, There's not a lot to say about this team anymore. 
They stink, okay? In Georgia, they're worse. I mean, at least they got the football team. They just won the championship, so they got nothing to really worry about here. And in fact, actually, Georgia men's basketball, there actually was an article on ESPN the other day. They've really never been that good. They haven't been really able to recruit players in at in from Atlanta in such places. Obviously, they had uh, C, uh, KCP from the, the former Laker, and then obviously Anthony Edwards. Obviously, they had those players, but they really have never been able to sort of get like that sort of winning atmosphere. Before the pandemic hit in 2020, they actually were having somewhat of a decent season, but that's neither nor there. But the fact is, the Tigers stink, okay? They're just awful. And I honestly think they will lose this game because it's actually sort of the way that this season has gone. We could talk about how they barely lost to Auburn. They barely lost to Florida. We can we could keep saying that all we want. The point is, a loss is a loss. A win is a win. That's just the end of the day. But they're already... We look at this season as a transitional season, right? We understand that. But they lost to UMKC. They lost to a bad Wichita State team and had seven losses by 20 or more points. That has definitely changed the definition of the season. A transitional season, I don't really think you should be losing by 20 or more points seven times. That's just unacceptable, and that's a disaster. But to say the season actually has been a disaster is an understatement. Missouri went from an NCAA tournament team last season to a team that's not even going to win one game in the SEC tournament. We understand that they were hit hard by the transfer portal, particularly Xavier Pinson. I mean, that's not an excuse, though, because you got teams like Texas and Kentucky. They rely heavily on the transfers. But we look at what they did from last season to this season. They never replaced Drew Smith's production. They never replaced Xavier Pinson's production, and it's been evident throughout the entire season. You look dudes like Amari Davis, plays really good one game, disappears the next five games. Boogie Coleman plays maybe a good game here and there. Then you look dudes like uh, Dewan Gordon. You look at dudes like that. But what we've really noticed throughout the entire season is the Tigers' over-reliance on Kobe Brown. When he struggles... The entire team struggles, and it has been evident, and we understand their current losing uh, losing six-game losing streak. They've only averaged 56 points, and they've lost by a margin of 17 points. That is ridiculous. Ben, go on. Yeah, I mean, this team, this is like in the NFL when it's week 16, week 17, it's the Detroit Lions and the Jacksonville <laughs> Jaguars. Like, nobody watches. It's hidden at, like, noon when there's a bunch of other good games going on. Red Zone shows it, like, once in the span of three hours. I mean, this game, it's it's not fun. They're 2-19 and 19 combined in their last 10 games, um, each of them. It's it's the bottom of the SEC conference. I mean, you mentioned all the numbers just now, Luca. It's not it's not a very fun matchup. It's pathetic. It's, it's cool that it's at home, final game at Mizzou Arena this season, so... We may see some fans there, but the only the only person that really? really gives me some sort of hope for tomorrow, I really like the the kind of steps I've seen Trayvon Brazil take this season. That's hopefully a building block for the future. But uh, there's not much more to say here, numbers or game wise. Um, there's there's not a lot to look forward to. We'll see what the final score ends up being, but win or loss, it's not really a big deal at this point. No, it's actually the two worst teams in the SEC that are facing off. I mean, if anyone watches this, I really feel sorry for you. But nevertheless, uh, women's basketball, um, not as, I mean, a little bit better than men's basketball, but it's a sort of a different story. So they started the season 10-0, and guys. The nation's only win over number one South Carolina in knocking off national-ranked Florida in the final game of the regular season. But 
The Tigers are actually in jeopardy of missing the NCAA tournament. I remember we got together over winter break and did a YouTube episode saying once they beat South Carolina, should the Tigers be ranked? We are sitting here right now on March 4th discussing that this team could actually miss the NCAA tournament. They are actually on the brink of not making it. So, Ben, I'll start with you here. Do you think the Tigers will make the NCAA tournament? It's going to be really tough, and I don't necessarily know if we're going to know right now before these conference tournament ends. I mean, there was a lot of people that had this Missouri Tigers team as a, a Final Four team in before the SEC tournament, and then they go in the first round and lose to eight-seeded Arkansas in overtime. So it's really, really tough. I think a win would have really, really helped them, and winning one or two games in this tournament probably would have solidified their spot in the tournament. I don't know if the loss yesterday necessarily hurt them. It just didn't, like I said, it didn't help their chances get any better. Um, I think we'll very have to we'll, we'll have to see depending on how these go. If they do get in, it will be one of the lowest seeds and will be final four teams in. They did have some good efforts, good numbers yesterday. I mean, Haley Troop with 21 and a Haley Frank with 13 boards. So it's it wasn't a terrible game. They were able to manage to take it to overtime, but it's the first round loss definitely doesn't look good on paper. It's it's now it just sucks because they're just going to be sitting there waiting to see it up until selection selection Sunday whenever they find out. So it's I think. After the positive momentum of upsetting number 23 Florida on Sunday without Asia Blackwell and a couple of the other players that had the suspension, you kind of thought, okay, this team, maybe they turn it on at the like last second right time, but then one game later they're out of the SEC tournament. So I'm going to say right now actually that they don't end up making it. They were on the brink right before, but it, I after we see a couple of these conference tournaments, all that it's going to take for Mizzou to be knocked out is one or two of those other teams that were going to be the first four in or final four in to win a couple of games in their conference tournaments, and then that leaves Mizzou on the outside looking in. So right now, just because of what happened yesterday, um, I'm going to say they end up missing it. They're gonna miss it. Um, let's just let's just take a step back here. You know how many times they lost to Arkansas this season? Three times. They lost to Arkansas three times, and they went six and nine in SEC play. That looks pretty bad for a resume trying to get in the trying to get in the NCAA tournament. I don't give a damn that they beat South Carolina, and I don't care that they beat Florida. You started the season ten and zero, and you finished the season eighteen and twelve. There's something wrong there. There really is something wrong there. Haley Frank clearly has not taken the next step. I understand that there are times that she just has been injured. There's times that she had COVID. I understand that, but at the end of the at the end of the day, someone's got to take some responsibility here. And Asia Blackwell cannot be the only person on this team that could be the only one that could propel this team. Haley Troop, great game, 21 points. I was, I loved her effort yesterday, played her heart out. We understand that. But at the end of the day, who really else stepped up yesterday? Because I can't really name another player that stepped up yesterday. Asia Blackwell, I do not understand Robin Pinchon's uh, thinking yesterday. You go into overtime without playing Asia Blackwell. You get outscored 13-4. to You look at what, she, her availability was unknown going into yesterday's game because of the suspension and all that. It was, in my opinion, there's no in-between here. She played 11 minutes, and she had 8 rebounds and 5 points. That's insane. In Arkansas, Mizzou actually had the advantage for rebounds because Arkansas is a smaller team. They were out-rebound the entire season, Arkansas, but they weren't out-rebound yesterday. And I want to also say this. Arkansas shot 27% from the field, and they still won. That is a concern. That is a really big concern for me, and especially when it comes to Robin Pinchon's uh, utilization of Asia Blackwell yesterday. You, she wasn't in the game until 2.42 of the second quarter yesterday. 
and then she wasn't in an overtime yesterday. I don't understand that. Either play her or don't play her. Pick one. You got to be able to sort of make a decision there. And her excuse was, well, she didn't practice. She she wasn't injured. She didn't have a hamstring. She didn't have some, I don't know, she didn't have a, a twisted ankle or something like that. If she did, that's a whole different story. I understand that. But she was suspended. That's different. She was completely healthy and ready to go. And yes, Ben, you're, you're right. They didn't have to win this game. But it would have been a good idea because they are currently projected in the last four in by ESPN's Charlie Cream. That doesn't mean they're going to get in. And I don't think they will get in because they don't deserve it. That's the thing. I don't care that they beat South Carolina. I really don't. If they do get in, they probably will be playing South Carolina again. They're going to get absolutely destroyed this time around because this team, since playing them the last time, they haven't been the same. They simply cannot get the ball moving. They turn the ball over way too many times. And yesterday, against the smallest team in the SEC, I mean, listen, I understand. Amber Rod Ramirez, great game. Samara Spencer, Michaela Daniels, we get that. Sasha, go forth. She played great in that overtime. But at the end of the day, you lost a game three times to the same team in one season. I don't think they're going to get it in, and I don't think they deserve it. The Asia Blackwell situation was really confusing to me because I get from Pinchton's point of view, you want to make a point that what happened off the court can happen. That's what I'm saying. I think you're doing even more of a disservice to the team by playing her for just a couple minutes. Mm -hmm. Practice or no practice, she's arguably the best player on the floor. And I think to play her for a couple minutes here and there and, and to give the team that false sense of hope that one of their best players is going to be out there for them and then not play her in the most crucial moment of the game – I think it's more of a disservice than just not playing her whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't. I really do not get that, especially from someone who I think is a really, really good head coach. That was really mind-boggling to me. I, I, I personally, obviously, I'm not the head coach. I play the whole game. That's a game you have to win. She had already served multiple game suspension up to that point. But to play her for just a few minutes and then prove a point, obviously, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But just very much on the surface, it was a mind-boggling decision from someone who I have often said is a really good head coach, but just does not make sense to me and it could be the reason why they end up missing the tournament yeah i really do ryan go ahead no i 100 percent agree with what you said luca your team you start off 10 and 0 and i they had too many losing spurts throughout their season to make the tournament if they do i mean like you said congrats to them but i i think they would be a one and done situation it'd be the first four in so it's just gonna be uh, the last four in sorry and I just don't think they'd be in a good position at all. But two players that I want to mention last game. Obviously, you go into the game 48-48, you go into overtime. You only scored four points in overtime. You're not winning the game. I just, you're not winning a game scoring four points in overtime. But Ladeja Williams and Haley Troop really stepped up mm-hmm. for this team. The two redshirt seniors really got it going. Haley Troop with a career high, like you said, 21 points. Really nice to see her. But then again, it's Haley Frank and Lauren Hansen who really let this team down. I think that... That they are two major reasons why this team has been let down this whole entire season because they have spurts where they're really good, but then spurts where they're not so good. And obviously, they have these spurts where they're not so good in this game. And this is a game that you really need to win. Uh, going into the game, the announcers did say that if they did lose, they'd still be okay. But then towards the end of the game, they said that, uh, hang on, if they lose this game, it may reduce their chances of getting to the tournament. So um, something must have went on behind the scenes if some other team may have won a game. But uh, yeah, this team does not deserve to get in one bit. And if I'm Robin Pynchon, I I would be very, very disappointed. The one good thing I guess I would say is that they did limit Arkansas to 48 points before overtime. So at that point, I think you should have won the game in regular time. And uh, the fact that you couldn't and you only scored four points in overtime, I think that's so an so an see you, see you later. 
All right, we'll leave it at that. When we get back from commercial break, NFL coverage for the Denver Broncos. We'll be right back with you on KCOU 88.1 FM. You're listening to KCOU Columbia 88.1. What does your smile say about you? Are you happy? Confident? Friendly? Getting and keeping that smile takes work. Proper brushing and flossing daily and drinking fluoridated water. Fluoridated water has been in use for 75 years and is considered the most safe, equitable, and cost-effective way to prevent tooth decay. A healthy smile means a healthy person and a healthy community. For more information, visit health.mo.gov. A message from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. And welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. I'm Luke Vitale, alongside me, Ryan Walterman and Ben Schmidt. Let's head into some NFL coverage here with the Denver Broncos here. General Manager George Patton said Tuesday at the NFL Scout and Combine that, quote, everything is on the table in the terms, in the team's, excuse me, pursuit of a quarterback, including trading multiple first round picks to get one or even bringing back Teddy Bridgewater. So, Ryan, I'll start with you here. Who do you think the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos will be for week one next season? So, I've been thinking about a lot of different things. Um, Obviously, the first option to me was maybe getting someone out of the draft, but I think that this team is a little bit too talented than to to start a quarterback coming right out of the draft. So, to me, uh, the two really guys I look at would be the... The guy in Seattle, Wilson, and but I think he's going to stay in Seattle, or he's—I really believe he'll stay in Seattle. So my my option here, and it, it might surprise Ben, but I think that they should target Kirk Cousins. I mean, the offensive coordinator—they've—they go back. I mean, he's got guys like Jerry Judy and um, uh, Sutton, and I mean, I think this is a good team for him. I think that if they target him. I think that they could make it work somehow. I think that Kirk Cousins would potentially do better on a Broncos team. And now, given it is outside and he does play indoor, but I just feel like it would be a really good situation. I think having him line up with his offensive coordinator would be a really good idea as well. And now some people would say that they would like to see Aaron Rodgers get traded there because of Nathaniel Hackett and what he did in Green Bay and the relationship he has to Rodgers. But I do believe that Aaron Rodgers will stay with the Packers. That's a different topic for a different day. But I just don't see him getting him. I think Russell Wilson is going to stay in Seattle. And I think that they should target Kirk Cousins with Drew Locke as their secondary quarterback. Yeah, right. I, I think that would be a dream scenario for the Broncos because I also think Rodgers stays. I think Wilson stays. I honestly think there's we're not going to see as much big market name QBs move as I originally thought. If you asked me a month ago, I would have said that there's going to be so much QB movement, these star QBs going everywhere. I'm starting to get the sense that they might may not happen. Um, obviously, you're not going to want to trade away a franchise quarterback. Seattle shouldn't do that with Russell Wilson. Or actually, they, they could get some draft picks, but regardless... Um, the thing with Kirk for Denver is I don't think the Vikings end up moving off of Kirk. I think they realize that there's not a good replacement scenario in place. So that's why I, I thought about that option. 
But I think the Broncos, they're not going to get any of those big-name targets, and I can't see them taking a quarterback at nine. Um, so I think realistically, and it's not going to make any Broncos fans happy, that they go into next season again with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. Um, it's not flashy whatsoever, and it's definitely not something that's going to make them win the division, especially when you're in a division with Mahomes, Carr, and Justin Herbert. I mean, you're the, you have the worst quarterback starting by far. But it's, I just don't necessarily think it would have to take a gigantic swing to pry one of these quarterbacks away from another team. And if you move on from Teddy, I mean, you're going to probably, it would basically just be a lateral move to go from Teddy to Jameis or Garoppolo or some of those other quarterbacks like that. So I think they stand pat with Teddy reluctantly, and then they go on the other side of the ball or some some area like that on the, at the ninth pick in the draft, which they have this upcoming year. And then I think worst case scenario, if they fail once again, then you're going to have some really quarterbacks good quarterbacks come 2023 with Bryce Young and CJ Shroud and some other guys in that class but it's it's in this kind of uh, offseason I the the only quarterback where maybe at this point because I don't think Russell goes I don't think Roger goes and I don't think Kirk goes maybe they take a swing at Watson if the legal issues get figured out because that has been rumored to them before I don't know if Watson would want to go there but I just think the the Broncos are one of those teams that ends up, even though they said every option is on the table, we're going to sit here in the next couple of weeks when free agency opens, and they swung and missed at the big names. So they're sitting there with Teddy back on, uh, back for a, another year in the system. I think you're wrong. Um, first of all, Ryan, I got to admit, the Kirk Cousins thing, it's a bit intriguing. I never really thought of that. I can't see it, though. That's the thing. I understand that their offensive coordinator is there right now. Ben, what's his name? It's like Kubiak. Kubiak? Is oh, that Clint Kubiak. Yeah, he's there. So I totally understand the whole reunion situation. I get that, but I, I just don't see it. Um, First of all, I agree with you guys on the Russell Wilson and the Aaron Rodgers situation. I don't see either of them going there. I don't know what's going on. Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, I feel like, needs all the attention in the world when he posts on social media. But that's a different story for a different day. First things first, Um, I honestly think... Jimmy Garoppolo will be the week one starter of for the Denver Broncos. Yes, he would be the worst starting quarterback in that division. That hasn't changed. And any quarterback that they get will be the worst starting quarterback in that division. I just don't see any like big market quarterback going there. We understand also that they have not had a franchise quarterback really since Peyton Manning retired. So we get that as well. But at the end of the day, Jimmy Garoppolo is not really someone that's going to cost a lot. He'll maybe cost a second-round pick, maybe even a fifth-round pick along to go with that as well. That's about it. He ain't going to get much more than that. But, like I said, we've talked about this before. Jimmy Garoppolo, wherever he goes, he wins. He just wins games. Despite being injury-prone, he wins games. Yes, he is injury-prone. Yes, he makes a bunch of boneheaded mistakes. I understand that. But at the end of the day... This dude finds ways to win, and it's that. And if we really look at San Francisco and Denver in one in one hand, they both have great defenses. Denver has a great defense. I think it's a little bit better actually than San Francisco's because after all, Drew Locke can't stay on the field to save his soul. And then you got, and then you look at the offense. One could argue that Denver has better receivers. One could argue that. I don't really think that, but one can argue that. San Francisco has the better running game. Denver does not. Yes, they got Javante Williams, and they got, uh, I think it's Ingram. That, is it Ingram that they have? or is Melvin? It Melvin, yeah, Go- Melvin, Melvin Gordon. Ingram. Thank you. But it's not going to cost them a bunch of future assets to get Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not going to ta- cost them really that much draft capital either. And as well, for a team that has a ton of draft capital, 
I would invest in that. And then going into the draft, I would actually draft Nevada's Carson Strong underneath Jimmy Garoppolo. So he would serve as a bridge quarterback. You draft Strong, which he would develop underneath Jimmy Garoppolo, and then hopefully Carson Strong would be your uh, next franchise quarterback because he has a strong arm. He has great vision of the field. He's not really that turnover. He's not really turning the ball over a ton. And obviously this year's draft is not very quarterback heavy. So he'll probably fall to maybe the second or even third round. So you're really playing with house money for next season. And whoever you really get anyway is going to be the worst quarterback in that division. And why not get Jimmy Garoppolo? He wins wherever he goes. The, I I get the pack that he wins, but I think he wins more as a result of Kyle Shanahan. And okay. obviously we don't know with Hackett. I get the point. It's just they're both average quarterbacks. And if it's going to take a second, would you want to give up a second to go from Bridgewater to Garoppolo? No, I wouldn't. But at the same time, Bridgewater, just like Garoppolo, gets hurt a lot. Yes. But I feel like it's time to move on from Bridgewater. We've seen what he can do. I think it's another change. I think both options are kind of just like you, you hold your tongue and yeah. just suffer through the season yep. and hope you can get to eight or nine wins. Yep. Yeah. The, honestly, like I don't even like I don't even think there's like a better option over the other personally. I think it's just more of okay, let's get Somewhat of a good quarterback that's better than Drew Locke. I mean, the dude has only passed, he's only completed 59% of his passes in his career. So can't get much worse than that, personally. It, it, I mean, if you look ahead to Denver's schedule next year with either of those guys, Garoppolo or Bridgewater, I mean, they play the AFC South, and that's not a very good division. That's Colts, Texans, Jaguars, and Titans. So I could see them winning three out of four of those games. Mm-hmm. But then when you look at the NFC division, they play the NFC West, and we Oof. all know the gauntlet that is. So it's kind of this is a team that will most likely hover around that eight seven eight nine win mark regardless of yeah. what of of who they play and who's at quarterback that's just got to be not such an un an unfair feeling to know the other quarterbacks in that division and unless you hit some home run in this draft or get a big guy in free agency somehow like you just know you're going to have the worst one and it's that's I'm I am very glad I am not in that circumstance right now. Yeah, it's really unfortunate because if you look at their defense, they got the defense. Yeah. They got Chubb and they got Sertan, they got Fuller, they got all those dudes that are able to play defense. Then you look at the offensive side. Obviously, they got a good running back who I think has a lot of potential. Jerry Judy if he could stay healthy. Then you got dudes like Noah Fant, Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, dudes like that. They actually have a pretty good receiver room. It is the quarterback that they are missing. And this year clearly isn't a year to draft a quarterback. Agreed. And I mean, a couple other things too with Denver. I like Hackett a lot. I thought that was a good hire. I like him better right now than Raiders coach um, Josh McDaniels. And you can make an argument. Obviously, we haven't even seen Hackett coach a game yet, but who knows how he'll fare up against Brandon Staley because Staley certainly had his shortcomings coming into the year. So there's an argument there that they could have one of the better coaches. Obviously, he's not coming near touching Andy Reid, but still a decent coach. I think. And I also think mile high, especially early in the season, is a home field advantage in that high altitude. So there's all these things potentially leading to go Denver's way. They've built well in the draft. Sertan is going to be an absolute star at cornerback for them for the future. And and they just don't have the quarterback figured out. Agreed. Ryan, do you have anything else to add? 
I think it'll definitely be interesting. I really like what Ben said about Hackett not obviously managing or coaching in a game. Obviously, having that Packers experience, though, is going to be huge. And I honestly thought that a Packer at least would at least go over to Denver, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So uh, I'm just going to be interested. I do really enjoy the uh, Garoppolo take, but it'll definitely be exciting to see what happens there as the commanders are also very, very highlighted for him to go there as well. Yeah, that's true. All right, Ryan, let's get going with our NHL coverage here. The NHL's March 21st trade deadline right around the corner as speculation is already brewing over which players could be on the move here. Such notables would be Arizona Coyotes defenseman Jacob Chikrun, Chicago Blackhawks goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury, and Dallas Stars blue liner John Klinberg have serviced in the rumor mill as potential trade candidates. So, Ryan, we'll start with this one. Which team do you think will be the biggest seller? So when I think of seller, I think of teams that obviously have started to drop off or teams that just aren't going to make the playoffs. So, you know, you got teams like the Red Wings, the Ducks, the Kraken, the um, Wild, obviously. But I don't see the Wild, the Ducks, or the Red Wings. Red Wings, maybe, because, I mean, they have some guys on there that could give them some good uh, package deals back. But the one team that I'm going to be really nagging about here is the Seattle Kraken and I think they're going to be the biggest seller that you're going to see at this deadline which it really pains me to say this because they had this opportunity to be such a better team in the draft and they went a different way about it obviously you see how Vegas went about it and they made it to the Stanley Cup finals well, in their first year. well that, that that is a whole that is true whole new story there were way different rules for That's that true. draft but, Way different. Okay, but but what I'm saying is they passed up on guys like Vladimir Tarasenko, who w- look at the season he's having. Well, in their defense, that is true. He did have a bad. Yeah, and was I, always I, injured. I got you. So as you know, you're, you're kind of saying that it might be a little bit of luck here for Tarasenko this year. Exactly. But, um, I'm looking at the Kraken, and I'm looking at guys like Mark Giordano, who I believe is their captain right now. I believe that he might get shipped away. And one bold, bold prediction I'm going to make here is their top three guys in points right now are Yanni Gord, Jordan Eberle, and Jared McCann. Mm-hmm. And I believe one of them gets shipped at the deadline, and I'm going to go with Jared McCann. I think that he adds a lot to a team that is contending right now, and um, I think that he's just kind of wasting his time right now in Seattle. And he, this team, you know, I think they can be good, but the problem is they're just not so good right now. I believe that um, their goalie situation is just havoc. And obviously, yeah, you got to keep Grubauer. I think there's no way you can really ship him. But Chris Dreiger is another guy I look at that they could potentially ship, uh. but I don't know if they would go that well. No. Yeah, see, that's the situation there. No. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think the two guys you look at, obviously – Jared McCann, even Jordan Everly was is in that um, type of talk right now, but I do believe that they're going to find a way to keep Everly around. I think they're going to need him in the long run of things. Uh, K.O. Yankro, Marcus Johansson, Riley Sheehan, and Colin Blackwell are the other guys that you can really look at. Um, but this team needs to do a lot more to get better in the next coming future, and I believe that that starts right now with dropping off guys that are really doing good on this team, sending them to a contender, getting draft pe- draft picks back, or even getting some young talent for them. Mm-hmm. But right now, I mean, I don't know about you, but I definitely got the crack in being the, one of the biggest sellers in the, at the deadline. Oh, I can't disagree with that. Obviously, you got dudes like Callie Yarncroke, like you just mentioned. He would be a great sort of third liner for a competitive team. I get you. I get you where you're coming from, especially Mark Giordano going back to Calgary, sort of a reunion because they definitely need some blue line depth. We talked about that last week, by the way, with Sean Carrier. Nice. Um, but 
In terms of Seattle being the biggest seller, I'm going to disagree with that. It is the Chicago Blackhawks, in my opinion, not only because of my bias with that team, but because they got quite a big chip pieces that they could sell, okay? They got quite a bit that they could get rid of. Like I said, I said this last week when Sean talked about the Buffalo Sabres and I, how I felt sorry for him, but like I said, they're awful. But when it comes to the Blackhawks, you look at teams and how they separate one from another. You have star players, and then you got your players that add depth within your team. The Blackhawks are a team that have a bunch of depth. They don't really have those one, two, three type of players. They It's really just, <clears throat> excuse me, Debrinket that really stands out from the rest of the players. I still love Kane, but he's not the same as he used to be. But... When it comes to the Hawks, you got dudes like Dylan Strome, who I think would be a great addition to any team, in my opinion. Obviously, you got Kane. Um, obviously, you got other dudes on the blue line, people like Kelvin DeHaan. Like a blue, he still can play really effectively. Henrik Borgstrom, who I think would be a great fourth liner for any team that was looking. Ryan Carpenter, Brett Conley. Dudes like this that could add depth to one's team. They have plenty of options. And, of course, a team like the Edmonton Oilers, like we talked about, Marc-Andre Fleury would be available in a trade. So just looking at that, they are very attractive. They will be sellers. Uh, the new GM, Kyle Davidson, just said the other day it's be more of a rebuild. So expect them to be sellers. Expect them to unload some of their players for draft capital or even younger players. All right, so following that, let's switch it to the other way. You guys just talked about sellers, so I'll start with here this time, Luca. Uh-huh. With the NHL tread deadline looming, which team will now be the biggest buyer? Um, You know, I'm going to say the New York Rangers. Um, Ryan, we've obviously talked about the New York Rangers several times on this show already. They are going to be... They are battling for first place in the Eastern Conference for the first time since 2014-2015. They've missed the playoffs in three of the last four seasons. And if they play their cards correctly, they can get to the Stanley Cup Finals, in my opinion, which is even better in this scenario in terms of management. When you look at general manager Chris Dreary, they have over $10 million in cap space. So that means they can get two big players. We saw what Florida did last year with Sam Bennett. We saw what they did with that sort of a uh, sort of deal and how they extended him and look how he's doing right now. So we look at that sort of we sort of look at this ideology of like teams have to have like the best players in the league. They have to be stars blah 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 blah. But not necessarily because the Rangers have a ton of young talent and not all that young talent is in the lineup. Yeah, it's almost insane if you really look about it. But when it comes to the New York Rangers, where they really need help is the defensive side of the puck. We've seen it multiple times where Igor Shosturkin is basically by himself fighting for his life between the crease. Or you can even talk about Alexander Georgiev with him too. But when you talk about defensemen, I'm looking at dudes like Ben Sherratt, 
of the Montreal Canadiens. He's a shutdown blue liner. The dude knows how to control the puck. He knows how to not turn over the puck. He's able to basically block. He's he's able to contain those big bodies on the opposite side of the opposite team. And then you got dudes like Jacob Shikrin of the Arizona Car- uh, Cardinals, Arizona Coyotes. Excuse me. He he will definitely be available on the trade market. Great player, very young. He's able to skate very fast. I love his endurance. And then, of course, you can obviously get more offensive pieces because Sammy Blay is done for the season. So if I'm looking for sort of a second or third-line winger, I would maybe entertain Jake DeBrusque of the Bruins, who's been hot lately. Maybe you can get someone like Phil Kessel of the Coyotes would be a great depth piece. Uh, Tomas Hurdle of the San Jose Sharks. They're down. They're going to be sellers. I would maybe look at him. And, of course, like I said this earlier in the year, Dylan Strom to reunite with his brother Ryan Strom and then getting Patrick Kane on there. I think that would be sort of some deals that Chris Drury should entertain. It's a beautiful option. Uh, The injuries are definitely up there, but the team I'm going to go with is – the Florida Panthers. And the reason I'm going with the Panthers is because this team has been a top team in the league this year. They have been really, really good. And obviously, they have not won a, a playoff series since 1996. And obviously, you said last year what they did with Sam Bet- Benton. So you know that the GM is going to be going high on them. They think they need a top defenseman right now. Mm-hmm. And yep. I would look at Jacob Chitrin, uh, Chitrin in Arizona. Um, and I just think that, you know, he's going to find a way that to get a big name because obviously that's what Zito does. He's a really yep. good GM. Absolutely. And I believe that they will find a way to get some big names in this deadline. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, they could even go for some guy in the Kraken. Like, I don't know, Mark Giordano, like I yep. was talking about. Yep. So it, it would definitely be exciting. But uh, just to get back to what your Rangers, Rangers talk, obviously I was watching that game, I believe it was Wednesday. And I loved how you talked about that defense because the Blues scored like three goals within like three minutes at, before the end of the second period. They it was need crazy. defense. Yes, they do. <laughs> That's the thing. But Iger oh man, he is so talented. So obviously I think it goes hand in hand with the Panthers and the Rangers. Both those teams top of the league right now. They're doing very good. They both have outstanding goalies, mm-hmm. and I just think they're missing that one piece. You know, it's kind of like with the Blues with me. I think they need to go out and get a top defenseman. Yep. They've, they've got Colton Pareko, but they need a little bit more. So yeah. it'll definitely be exciting what happens come trade deadline. Yeah, I definitely agree with you in the Blues, but that we'll talk about yeah. probably that next week or something like that. But obviously the Florida Panthers, I could totally see where you're coming from. Obviously Bill Zito, just absolutely a mastermind when it comes to making deals. I mean, we've seen what Sam Bennett has done since being there. I mean, look what Jonathan Huberto did to improve his skill set so credit to him but yes you are right about the defensive side obviously you're gonna have to get more than just Aaron Eckblad he can't be the only one really playing defense on that team so yeah John Klingberg would be a great example to get on there Mark Giordano like you mentioned maybe a Nick Letty from the New York Islanders and there's of course other options out there like I said you can even get away with a Calvin DeHaan I mean yes he's not as fast as he used to be but he's good enough to sort of be on a second line. But if they could get Jacob Chikrin or a Ben Sherrod, oh, man, this team is going to be dangerous beyond belief because I'm telling you right now, their goal, the Florida Panthers at this trade deadline, 
is to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning to make their team better. Remember, they only lost four games to two last postseason, and they started three goaltenders. So it, I think this is something that they need to really approach. Yeah, and it's not even just to get past the Lightning. They want to go take a deep, deep run in the playoffs this year. Um, so it, I believe, I honestly think that they will either get Chikrin or Chiro. I, I think that one of them w- will definitely be a Florida Panther at the deadline. All right, we'll leave it at that. When we get back from commercial break, NBA discussions with Ben Schmidt here, and we'll be right back with you on KCOU 88.1 FM. Look at me, busy as a bee. Where'd I get all this energy? Oh, man, mm, man. I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I've got the cleanest house on the street. Oh, man, mm, man. Get these hairs all out of my face. Get these bugs all out of my place. One more hit. No time to waste. Oh, man. Oh, man. And welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. I'm Luca Vitale alongside me, Ben Schmidt and Ryan Walterman. All right, let's jump into some NBA talk here with Ben Schmidt's basketball brief here. The Boston Celtics are, or let's see, fifth here in the Eastern Conference here, only trailing the Bucks, the Bulls, the 76ers, and the Miami Heat have been pretty hot lately. Eight and two in their last ten, and have won two straight here. But Ben, I'm going to give you the floor here. What's going on with these Celtics? This is not a conversation, uh, Luca. There we go. Mike is now on. Uh, this is not <laughs> a con- <laughs> this is not a conversation I thought we'd be having a, a couple weeks ago, just because. Boston got to that Eastern Conference Finals Game 7 against LeBron James and the Cavaliers a couple years ago. And then since then, they've gotten nowhere near close. I guess they had the one against Heat a couple years ago. But nowhere near the Game 7, a quarter away from going to the NBA Finals close. That was with rookie Jason Tatum, the year Kyrie got hurt. And this team was built to run the Eastern Conference for the next decade. And then since then, the Kyrie fiasco, he's out. And then the Brad Stevens ends up stepping down as head coach last year. And then now this year they had a really slow start. There was all this talk, um, especially from Marcus Smart, about how um, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown all wanted the last shot. It was just a really weird fit, and there was a lot of questions about how well they could play together. And all throughout that process, Jason Tatum preached about, we're going to figure it out, it's going to work, stay patient. And man, have they figured it out. And this, without a doubt, is a team that could contend. So uh, back up now to present day with the Celtics. First of all, they beat the 43-win Grizzlies last night, 120-107. to A hot Grizzlies team, too, that beat Chicago on Saturday. The Spurs a couple days after with John Morant dropping 50-plus points. So that's a really good Grizzlies team that they just took down last night with Tatum having 37. And Al Horford, who has at times looked like a very old player on the verge of retirement this year, scored 21 with 15 rebounds. That was his first time he went 20 and 15 since 2019. So really some great performances last night. Every Celtic that had at least 15 minutes played scored in double figured. So I think that's it is now they have started to reach the peak. They have won 15 of 18 games. 
At when a couple weeks ago, when this team was at its lowest, they were a game under 500 near the bottom of the Eastern Conference. And now, after winning those 15 of 18, they're 11 games over, currently the fifth seed, and are two games back of the two seed. So that top of the Eastern Conference is really jumbled up. And honestly, the Celtics are probably better than some of those teams between two and four that they're trailing. So would not surprise me whatsoever if they are two or three seed come end of the season when you look at wow. the standings. So they're without a doubt a contender right now. I would not put them. I would not put them over the Heat. And then there's a debate whether you want to argue with some of the other Eastern Conference top teams. But this is a team now. Uh, Jalen Brown didn't even play last night uh, because he had an ankle injury, not a long-term deal. But with Tatum, Brown, and Marcus Smart all figuring out kind of the, their roles together, Tatum obviously is the alpha. I don't think that was ever a debate. But still, it was, like I said, everyone wanted the last shot, and they figured that out. Nine straight wins over current playoff teams, that's something you want to see from someone going into the playoffs looking to make a push come playoff time. I mean, you look at, we're going to talk about the Bulls here. The Bulls on there on the opposite. They're struggling against playoff teams. Meanwhile, the Celtics are hot. They're beating good teams, and they look like they're going to continue to do that. Another thing about this Celtics team is they've been arguably the best defense in the NBA at least the past two months, maybe even before that. They have really figured it out on defense, and that's part of the reason why I think they can hang with any of these teams in the East that have some great scores like the, the 76ers now with uh, with Harden and Embiid, some of the other teams at the top of the East. The Celtics can play defense and lock some of those guys down, which is why I think come playoff time, they should at least find themselves in the semifinals, maybe even the Eastern Conference Finals. Tatum averaging 26 and 8 this year 26 points and 8 rebounds this year those are up there with some of his best numbers of his career another player too I want to talk about Robert Williams he's knocking on the door this year of 50-40-90 he's at 49% overall from the floor shooting and over 92% from the free throw line so those are fantastic numbers if any of our listeners out there play uh, the the new NBA version of Wordle uh, Robert Williams was actually the, or excuse me Grant Williams was actually the answer a couple days ago so kind of funny there that someone who's having such a great season um, just Celtics everything is going right right now I'd argue uh, if you look at the Eastern Conference standings, you obviously have the Miami Heat at one. I don't think anyone is arguing, even with how how uh, hot the uh, the Boston Celtics are, they're still not better than the Heat right now because I think the Heat uh, have a lot of really good things going for them. But you could argue right now that the Celtics could beat the Bucks. The Celtics could probably beat the Bulls. So um, we'll, it'll be very interesting to see here as we get into the middle of March and then into April, getting closer to playoff time, where the Celtics actually end up. Because like I said, it's all jumbled up right there. And the uh, the Celtics are right now hotter than all these teams. They're good at home. They're 500 on the road, and that's exactly how you want to be. You win your games at home against against teams you need to beat, and then you go 500 on the road, and you'll find yourselves in a good spot come into the season. So watch out for the Celtics, man. I could not have imagined saying that a month or two ago because this team looked destined for the play-in tournament, but now they're hot. Um, their defense lets them match up with anyone, and they have the young scorers who have figured it out together in uh, Tatum and Jalen Brown. So. I like how you said that, uh, you know, a month ago you wouldn't have said that because obviously just being from St. Louis, watching Jason Tatum do his thing is just very, very cool. I don't really keep up with the Celtics, but I mean, I at least try to because he's a St. Louis freaking amazing athlete. So it's really cool to see what he does, especially, you know, when he comes into town, he always gives back to the community. So it's really cool to see as well. Uh, and yeah, like you said, just a couple months ago, they just could not seem to finish a game. And I think, like you said, that was because of the woes they had of who's going to take the last shot and not. But now just to see how they've become is just really, really cool. Tatum 
Young really stepping up. Uh, and other guys like Al Horford, you know, like who would have thought he would be stepping up in a big role? And he's uh, he's done pretty well as well. Uh, I also in, have enjoyed Derek White. You know, he hasn't been like that good for them, but he's definitely been a spark at times, which I think is really, really cool to see. And I honestly think this team could finish in the top five if they keep playing the way they are. I don't believe no one's going to pass. I don't believe anyone will pass the Heat because the Heat have just been in a different dimension this year. Uh, and the Bulls. It's interesting that you said you think they could beat them because right now, yes, but a healthy Bulls team, I think maybe a different situation. I think that the Celtics could still pull it out, but a healthy Bulls team, I think, would be pretty scary. That's a situation where if those two teams were to face in a first-round series, which it's very possible it ends up maybe a 4-5 or a 3-6 scenario, um, not with all these matchups, but with that one specifically, I think having the home court advantage would be absolutely huge because if you look, both of these teams are exactly 500 on the road, but Bulls at home are 24 and 9, and Celtics at home are 22 and 11. So two teams that fare well in their respective arenas and are decent enough to win games on the road. But when you're exactly 500 on on those road games, like these two teams are, having that one extra home game and winning a series potentially four, three, and seven, I think could be huge. Um, this is Celtics team, though, especially. Even though it's been a couple years, they've been consistently in the playoffs. And like I said, with most of these core players in Tatum and Jalen Brown, they have been in now two Eastern Conference Finals. So that trumps the Bulls right there, potentially the Cavaliers who are right behind them who don't have that experience. So um, that's another thing, too, to look at come playoff time. Obviously, the Bucks, 76ers, and Heat have all been there the last couple of seasons. But some of the other ones in, or in and around the Celtics have not gotten that same experience. All right. Meanwhile, the Chicago Bulls, on the other hand, have... Struggled a little bit here. Lost the Atlanta Hawks last night, 131-24. And they're on a three-game losing streak night right now. Hawks, Heat, and Grizzlies, which we just mentioned that the Celtics just beat the Grizzlies not too long ago. And the Bulls sit right now in third place, tied, or not tied, rather. They are in third place, 2.5 games behind the Heat for first place. So, Ben, since you're our basketball aficionado here, what's wrong exactly with the Bulls? Some cracks are starting to show here in the foundation, which is interesting to say because coming into the season after how horrible the Bulls have been for the last five, if you would have told me come March 4th that they're a three seed, I would have been ecstatic. And I still am ecstatic. It's just... Um, these last three games, you can kind of see some fatal flaws. Billy Donovan, I thought, made an alarming quote. Not necessarily alarming, but very telling quote, because the consistent thing about the Bulls was just wait till they get Caruso, Lonzo, Patrick Williams all back, who are very key contributors and guys that have a very big role, not even scoring, because you can have DeRozan and Levine do the scoring. These guys play roles off the ball on defense. But what Billy Donovan really talked about was it's not those guys that are going to make the defense in boxing out, not fouling, and getting rebounds. It's the fundamental things that the Bulls are not doing well right now, and that has really shown up. I mean, against the Memphis Grizzlies, Stephen Adams had over 20 rebounds for the Grizzlies um, up on Saturday, and that ended up being really, really huge because end of that game, the Bulls climb out of this big hole to, to get it to within two, I believe, and then they couldn't get a rebound. And Stephen Adams, like I said, finished with 21 boards in 35 minutes, and that's just a fundamental flaw with the Chicago Bulls right now. I like Vucevic, but his defense and presence in the paint is really not that good and that's that's really starting to show up against good I mean you look at the last three games you Grizzlies Steven Adams like I said went insane and then with the Heat Bam Adebayo is one of the best young centers in the entire league so that's that's definitely an issue to worry about especially if you get into the playoffs we're gonna have to face Giannis uh, Joel Embiid with the 76ers Bam again with the Heat those are all guys so I can tell you right now will absolutely torment the Chicago Bulls on defense so that's a major major worry obviously I 
I'd like to see what can happen when everyone's healthy, but whether they're healthy or not, I don't fi- think fixes some of the fundamental issues. Another big thing last night, if you look at specifically, because they were in this game, they're actually leading with just about two minutes to go and end up losing by six to the Atlanta Hawks on the road. I mean, turnovers, they had eight more turnovers. That's another thing. I mean, like, it's stuff they can control. Obviously, you can't control uh, so- some of the stuff with, like, the height issues that they have, uh, especially on defense. But uh, the turnovers, that stuff you can fix. Um, it's it's really really weird right now because they shot better than the Atlanta Hawks. It's ju- it's just when he came down to closing time, a team that has been really really good in the clutch, um, it was not good last night. Another thing too, uh, after w- this time last week when I talked about Demar Derozan, the insane stretch he was on with the 35 plus points on 50 percent uh, shooting. It's not that he's been bad the last couple games. He just hasn't hit that mark, and I think that's been that's been kind of key for a team that is not necessarily getting contributions from all areas on certain points in time. Last night, the bench scoring was better, but a couple nights ago when they played Miami, the bench points was really, really bad, and I think that came to hurt them because when they went on that 6-2 six or, eight or six and two stretch between right before the All-Star break and then the first game right after they beat Atlanta, when the bench wasn't putting up points, they were still getting that 35 and 50% shooting from DeMar to basically bail them out. Well, you can't expect that every single night, and then when you have the bench guys, Kobe White had nine a couple nights ago against Miami, Derek Jones Jr. with two, Tristan Thompson with two. So it's your big bench guys, uh, Javante Green with four in that game as well. There needs to just be some more consistency, I think, across the board because as much as I think DeMar DeRozan has been absolutely incredible, you would like to see, you know what you're going to get from DeRozan, you know what you're going to get from Levine, and most nights you kind of have a general idea with Vucevic, but when the bench is just completely going, it's just inconsistent. I love Kobe White, I love Io DeSumo. Um, there's nights when they both are dropping 15-plus points on very efficient shooting, but there's also nights, like I just mentioned with Kobe a couple minutes ago, or a couple seconds ago, where he's in single-digit points, and then there's just no bench presence whatsoever. In that Grizzly game on Saturday, DeSumo in 22 minutes didn't even score a point off the bench, so, uh, actually, I, he might have even started that game at point guard. Regardless, I think there just needs to be more consistency across the board because you know the star power is there. You know they're missing some pieces, but cracks are definitely starting to show. And um, it would not surprise me whatsoever. It, it feels kind of right now like this is a team that maybe gets the second round and then loses there to a really good Eastern Conference team like the Heat or Philly or Milwaukee if they turn it on a little bit. But uh, it's, a, it's a core that is kind of locked in for the next couple of years, especially if you extend Levine. So it's, it's to gain more experience, the expectations will certainly grow. My sources say that uh, Lonzo Ball may be back sooner than later. Yeah, no, that would definitely be a huge help because I, I think one thing, too, with Lonzo having him back in the starting lineup I also really like having both DeSumo and Kobe White coming off the bench together because obviously with, with no Lonzo Ball in the lineup for as long as he's been out with the knee issue, one of them has been starting at point guard. Uh, there's been kind of some switching off. More recently, it seems like it's been more DeSumo. And I think both Kobe and DeSumo are really good players, but giving them both off the bench at the same time adds much-needed depth to, like I said, a unit that has been very inconsistent. And then obviously just Lonzo in the starting lineup, the facilitator role that he plays because when your main scorers are DeRozan and Levine and then Vucevic to follow, I mean, Lonzo opens up so much on the floor for them. I think that was seen earlier in the season when they were playing some of their best ball when all of them were in the starting lineup at the same time right around Christmas time before Lonzo had the knee injury. And I think that's going to be really huge. And obviously the defensive presence, it's that's been known with him his whole career. And the three-point shooting for Lonzo. I mean, that was he was putting up some of his best numbers from behind the arc this year. He was never dropping like 30-point games or anything from the point guard position as your starter. But they don't need him to. They need him to facilitate the offense 
get it so DeRozan is able to come and get the ball and have a good look. Levine can get to the basket. So um, that would definitely be a very, very huge help in multiple different ways for both the starting lineup and the bench. Yeah, just a little bit from me here. Um, obviously, the Bulls have really struggled against the really good teams, but I really think that's really contributed to the absences of Alex Caruso, Lonzo Ball, and Patrick Williams, like we've mentioned. Um, as someone that doesn't really watch the Chicago Bulls, I mean, I, it's the defense that really starts to really get me sometimes because they don't play any defense at all, really. I mean, it just seems like the opposite team is constantly scoring. I mean... Yeah, Levine and DeRozan will do their thing. But, Ben, like you mentioned, it's the inconsistency that this team brings to the table. And if you're going to play a team like the Milwaukee Bucks or the Miami Heat or even a Boston Celtics squad, you're going to have to play a little bit better than this because you're not playing a Detroit Pistons or an Orlando Magic squad in the first round. I think it's simple as that. I think a, a very big momentum boost coming in these next couple of days. Milwaukee comes to the United Center tonight at 6.30. A win at home to break this three-game losing streak would be huge. And then there's just been this absolute demon hanging over the Chicago Bulls' head for the last three or four years. Really, he's been doing it to the whole NBA, but especially every time he plays the Bulls. Joel Embiid, I'm expecting him to get close to 40 against the Bulls on Monday in Philadelphia because he seems to do it every time. That's one thing that just worries me so much, um, especially with Vucevic. Uh, Joel Embiid just absolutely owns him and it's not even a debate there I mean every time I look up when the Bulls and 76ers play each other Embiid is pushing 40-45 points so I think that would also give them some confidence because there is a chance um, depending on how these two teams move being so bunched up together near the top that they can match up in a 3-6 or a 4-5 first round scenario so to maybe get a win in Philadelphia would also be a really huge boost as they move closer to the end of the season because this so they play the Bucks one more time after actually two more times after tonight and then this will be the last time they play the 76ers come Monday so last time we're going to get to see uh, one of the teams that could potentially be there competing for the Eastern Conference title I think a chance to win and beat them in their own building could definitely get the Bulls back on track all right we're going to leave it at that thanks for tuning in today for Around the Waves KCOU 88.1 FM and we will see you next week